Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, we remember the 85th anniversary of our evangelistic band, which was responsible of planting many of our daughter churches all over the Philippines. And so more, more power to the founders and members of the evangelistic band. And also, let's continue to pray for God's work among our daughter churches around the Philippines as God accomplishes His mighty work through them. We continue our study in the book of Hebrews, and the title of the message today is A Terrible Exchange based on Hebrews 8, verse 1 to 13. And the idea is Jesus is the better mediator of the better covenant. And I don't know if you ever had a terrible exchange when you wanted to buy something branded and found it expensive, and you sought an alternative, hoping that it would give you the same quality, and when the item arrives, substandard, cannot be used. And instead of saving up money, you end up spending more because it was uh, not on par with what you wanted. And that happened to us a lot of times. That's called a terrible exchange. And so we also have many decisions that we make in life that uh, are considered a terrible exchange when we are at a loss because of those major decisions. Some of them trivial, but some are fatal. Okay? And so, uh, the 24-7 Wall Street, uh, an article was written by McIntyre, Allen, Wigley, and Sauter. And he, they were talking about poor management decisions and the closure of several American companies. And this is what they discovered. And let me read. In the long history of poor management decisions made at major American companies, only a few proved to be fatal. It is hard to ruin a company with a single decision. And that is especially true when the company has already the high advantage of a huge market share, large and rising revenue, and a history of success. But not all bad decisions are equal. Why? So 24-7 Wall Street set out to identify the worst business decisions of all time. And this decision cost these companies millions and billions of dollars until their closure or declaration of bankruptcy. So the worst decisions, they categorize into three. Okay, the management of Lehman Brothers and Firestone, these two companies were simply reckless. Okay, so these are the problem, no? reckless management. They lead up to the housing collapse and the Lehman executives over-leveraged investment in the bank. Marami sila sobrang utang. Far more than any large financial institution ever had. Firestone, however, they hastily tried to produce another kind of tire. And both companies ignored the warnings of their colleagues, internal warnings. And their decisions were highly very risky. And so, these companies failed. Another type of uh, problem was in the case of Kodak and Motorola. Management missed the tectonic shifts of the industry that they were in. Like for example, Motorola held on to its old cell phone business too long. They were not able to leverage their Razer brand of cell phone or couple it with the smartphone until the brand has already lost its relevance. Kodak, for example, actually held the patent for digital cameras well before they were mass-produced by other brands but they were left behind by other digital camera brands later on like Fuji and Sony. 
And so, they lost market dominance because they grew out of relevance. Kmart, okay, a grocery chain, showed a general lack of foresight. The retailer company failed to create modern supply chain management that would support an increase in customers. Something that their uh, competitor, Walmart, were able to do. Okay? They had the price war and yet Kmart didn't expand to, to meet the need or the demands. And so Walmart also used uh, aggressive advertising to win over Kmart. So these companies closed down because of bad decisions that they did. Now, we all also in life have our fair share of bad decisions. Some prove to be damaging but not fatal. But there is a decision that will utterly make us end up in bankruptcy. And what is that decision? When we decide to give up our faith in Jesus and allegiance to Jesus, when we cut off our relationship with the Savior, when we uh, you know, throw Him out of our lives, we are not only making a bad decision for our life today, but actually we are sacrificing our eternity with God. And that's why the thought of our message for today is this. Do not give up trusting in Jesus alone because He is the better mediator of the better covenant. And let me repeat that. Do not give up trusting in Jesus alone because He is the better mediator of a better covenant. And so why are so many people simply giving up on their relationship with Christ in our day and age? Why do they make this terrible exchange? Why do we see apostasy or people leaving the faith one after another? Probably first is because of unmet expectations. When they received Christ, they expected that life will be worryless and problem-free. And so when there are problems and worries, this is not the life I bargained for. So they decided that they don't need Jesus. Jesus is not relevant to what they want in life. Another probability is unwanted suffering. A life without hardships and heartaches. So when they face hardships, heartaches, and difficulties, the loss of a loved one, failure in their careers, no? uh, hardships that the family is going through, relationally, financially, they simply give up, give up on faith because it is not what they wanted. Third is unfulfilled desires. They wanted a life that doesn't experience failure, only success, only uh, reaching their goals and aspirations. And so when we think like that, we reduce God to like a genie in a lamp instead of who He really is. We are the one who calls the shots. We order Him around to fulfill our needs and desires. Instead of acknowledging that He is really the Lord and Master of the universe, the Lord and Master of our lives, He calls the shots. And when that happens, we readily give up our faith and exchange it for the lies that the world offers. Easy way out, and uh, uh, quick fixes, diversions, worldly wealth, and the list goes forward. We exchange it for our faith in Jesus only to a loss. So eventually, it is not Christ who we thought abandoned us, but it is actually us who abandons Christ. But did Jesus make a mistake when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you? Did he lie to us when he said he will be with us to the very end of the age? And the answer is no. Jesus is uh, sure of his promises to us. It's just that he never promises a life without suffering, difficulty, and pain. It is part of humanity and human life. 
but he did promise to journey through pain with us. So the thing is, despite all the problems around us that we're facing because of what has happened around the world today, will we decide to not give up Jesus and trusting him alone because he is the better mediator of that better covenant? Now, let me give you a little background again of the book of Hebrews. As we had been studying the book of Hebrews, we see that the problem being addressed by the author is apostasy. People were leaving Jesus and the faith in Jesus and going back to their old religion of Judaism because of the intense persecution from the Romans and also the devout Jews. So they were having difficulties in their faith and so they were just simply giving up. To end all their suffering and persecution, just abandon Jesus. And so, the argument of the book of Hebrews is, no, do not leave Jesus because Jesus is way better than Judaism in all aspects. And so, that's how it uh, forms. Now, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better than any part of the Mosaic Covenant, the religion of the Jews, because he is just simply of a different scale. And so giving him up is a great loss. You will be out of suffering, but you will be also out of the saving grace of Christ. Why do that? And so the advocacy in the book of Hebrews is this. Okay, it's we are called to endure. We are called to endure. Okay, that's the advocacy of the book of Hebrews. To endure believing in Christ no matter what. Okay, and so again, what is it trying to tell us? Do not give up trusting in Jesus alone in all things because he is the better mediator of the better covenant. Right? And so Jesus is indeed undeniably the better mediator. So when we call a mediator is someone who represents man to God and God to man, the middleman. Okay, yun yung tawag sa kanya, no? As a mediator, Jesus has all the qualifications. Now, election is around the corner. And we often look for candidates and their qualifications and their platforms what they, and their promises. And because we are electing a flawed person, whether they're Christian or not, they are subject to human error and mistakes and weakness. So there is no single president that can really truly meet our expectations. That's why sometimes in election time, okay, we just say, let's elect the lesser evil. <laughs> of all the candidates because there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. I remember once that uh, we, uh, there was a pastoral search committee for a senior pastor in a church and an elderly Christian leader talking to the leaders of the church had a recommendation and this is what he said. I have someone in mind for your church. This man loves kids. And so there were, you know, a twinkle in the eyes of these leaders. Wow. But he doesn't have an education degree. And so, again, they feel, oh. This candidate is a good communicator. He is very good in speaking with people of different walks of life. But he can be quite confrontational to the errors of leadership. And so, plus and minus. He is a team worker. Okay? He always works in teams. But he also likes to hang out with midfits of society. So plus minus, okay? So okay, negative, positive. His work ex experience is vocational in nature. But he doesn't have a corporate exposure. He's good in history and theology. 
but he asks for lots of requirements to students. Okay, so he demands a lot. Yeah, and so he asked the leaders, will this person pass in your eyes? And so the leadership said, plus minus, I think we cannot accept those different things, so maybe no. Who is the candidate? Asked the leader. So the elderly gentleman said, if Jesus cannot qualify to become your senior pastor, nobody will qualify. Okay? Because he was talking about Christ, right? The requirements of students, carry up your cross, deny yourselves, and follow me. So the author of Hebrews actually was trying to convince them that Jesus is better than the high priest, the highest ruling spiritual authority in Judaism. Jesus is better than him in so many ways. And also, he initiated a better covenant. Covenant is a contract or a relationship between God and Israel. It's called a covenant, and another word for covenant is testament. That's why the Old Testament is the old contract or covenant. The New Testament talks about the new contract or covenant between God and His people. And again, the idea here is do not give up trusting in Jesus alone because He is the better mediator of the better covenant. Okay, I've been repeating this phrase a lot, and I hope it sticks with you. So why is Jesus a better mediator? Okay, the author says because this mediator is seated at the very right hand of God. And so if we look at the passage in verse 1, he says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, who, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What does that mean? Now the high priest is the highest ruling spiritual leader in Judaism, the religion of Israel, right? And this person is a human being. He represents man to God, but he is also flawed. That's why in making sacrifice, he has to also make atonement for his own sins. And that's why also there's a rope on his feet, just in case he went, goes into the presence of God and God strikes him down, then he will be pulled out of the presence of God because he is also a sinner. He is imperfect. Now, Jesus is not a high priest like any man. In the passage, is saying he is the elevated rightful ruler and judge seated at the right hand of God. Jesus being 100% God represents God to us. Being 100% man in the incarnation represents us to God. And he is not ministering here but in the very presence of God. So Jesus is better than the high priest. Not only that, he serves in God's realm, not in man's realm. He serves in God's realm, not in man's realm. In verse 2, it says, He is a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now, Jesus didn't minister in man-made structures, the tabernacle, the temple. Okay? But instead, he is ministering there in the very train, throne room of God in the heavenly places, unlike the earthly high priest. He was directly appointed by God, not appointed by God through humans. He is there in the very presence speaking directly to, the, to God. Third, 
is that he offers something better than the earthly priests. He offers something better than the earthly priests. In verse 3 it says, Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer, offering something for himself, right? Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. What is the point? What he offered up for our sakes as a sacrifice, as a gift to God, cannot be offered by any other earthly high priest. Because the earthly high priest is required by the law to atone for his own sin and the people through sacrificing of another, but Jesus sacrificed himself once and for all because he was without sin. And so we just needed one ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Okay, so Jesus is the better mediator. He does not serve a mere copy or shadow of the heavenly things. He does not only serve a copy or a shadow. Verse 5 says, They, the earthly high priest, serve a copy or a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you in the mountain, on the mountain. Right? So there was just a pattern, a picture, okay, a copy. Now, Jesus is not the copycat. He is the original version. Everything about the sacrificial system, everything about the tabernacle, everything about the worship of Israel reflects what will happen ultimately when Jesus sacrifices himself and reigns in heaven okay, as the rightful ruler and judge. Everything is a shadow or a copy to prepare us to understand what he is about to do. They were all just foreshadowing Christ. They were the introduction, but Jesus is the conclusion. And so the author of Hebrews is making his point that there's simply no one who can replace Jesus. And going back to your old religion, you are losing out on the best and only version, right? Okay. He's telling his readers that they do not simply give up on Jesus as their way to God and his purposes because apart from Jesus, there is no other way. He is the better mediator. And so what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Make sense of that. Jesus is the ultimate and only way. And giving up on our faith of, in Christ, we are cutting our only lifeline for eternity in God. We are cutting off our only second chance. We're cutting off the only path for us to be saved. Why will we do that to ourselves? Because of unmet expectation, unfulfilled desires, and unwanted suffering. There is just no sense for us to give up on Jesus. Okay, what do we depend on for us to draw near to God and His purposes? Where are your anchors hooked upon? Is it upon Christ and who He is and His words and promises? Or are we simply 
you know, uh, carried away by the wind and waves of suffering, difficulty, hardship, illness. Where does our faith rely upon? And that's why, you know, uh, Joshua told the people, okay, during the Exodus, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because there's no other. No, no, no other way. He is, there's no other God. And so it's the same commitment that we must make. There is no other I will serve except Jesus. Not any other God, nor any other religion, nor my previous faith. There's no turning back because we have received the better, actually the best and the only one. Why give it up? Because of the temporary things of this world. You know, when in, uh, in scouting, when I was in high school, one of my favorite activity is orienteering. And orienteering is you're given a map, and then in that, in that area, for example, na yung Pilipino, and there are uh, target points where you staple onto your sheet na unahan. No? Kunyari, 12 locations. You have to find that location and get the right stapler design to cut holes in your paper. But the problem is when you're holding a map, that's why it's orienteering. It has to be at the right. Uh, when you look at the map and where you are, you have to be oriented to the north correctly, yung mapa. Okay, that's why for the map to work, you need a compass. Because if you turn it upside down, then you will get lost and not find what you need to find. So it's how to read and use the map. And that was fun for me locating those with friends, walking around uh, that area. But more important is if you don't have a compass, you cannot even start. Okay, that's the idea. And Jesus is like that compass. When you are in Christ, you can find your way. But without Christ, you're absolutely lost and you cannot find your way. So are we anchored on our good works, on the activities that we attend? on our financial capacity and security, they fall short in comparison to Jesus or our health. These are all temporary things of the world. We seek things that are of eternal value. We seek what counts for all eternity, and that is Jesus. And that's why, disciples of Christ, we are not to give up trusting in Jesus alone because he is the better mediator of the better covenant. Okay, and we, that is our message. But not only that, he initiated a better covenant. Not only was he the better mediator, he initiated a better covenant. Now, career-wise in 2021 is very much different when we talk about careers in the past. When I was uh, working 20 years ago, we just are told how much we are paid and that's it. Right now, you have to ask for your pay and the perks to compare company A and company B, which is a better pay. Company A pays you a better salary, but company B has medical benefits. Company A no, has allowances, but company B has a car plan and a housing plan. So it's about pay plus perks, no, so that you can compare the benefits of both jobs. No, there is a seen and unseen. Okay? And so it's the same way. We have to take a deeper look into the old covenant and the new covenant, the old contract between God and His people and the new contract between God and His people to be able to fully appreciate why the new covenant is the better 
1 and the book of Hebrews chapter 8, he emphasizes it on these counts. First, the, the new covenant is enacted on better promises. What does that mean? No? In verse 6, it says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old, than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. For it, the, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Okay? So what's the difference? No? Because the new covenant, it's like getting an all-expense-paid trip with no hidden cost. Right? Sometimes they call, oh, your trip is all-expense-paid, but there are hidden costs. But it's all-expense-paid, no hidden cost, only faith in Christ. Okay? It's like buying a house. You buy a house that needs to be furnished. You buy a house that is fully furnished. Okay? The new covenant is complete in every way. You don't need anything else. Because the old is incomplete, and the new one is the final and complete one. It is faultless. Okay? It is uh, better, much better. Right? So, Jesus is the mediator of the better covenant, the new covenant. Second, it does not expect a counterpart. In verse 8, he says, For he or God finds fault with them, the people, because it's covenant, not God and the people. Behold, the days are coming, the Lord, the Lord says, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So usually in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East where Israel was located and the other cultures there, they have what we call the covenant. It's a con contract between two nations or countries. One is the suzerain or the more powerful nation. The other is the vassal or the uh, lower nation or the less powerful nation. So for example, uh, before in World War II, U.S. was like the suzerain, Philippines was the vassal, something like that. So one is to serve the other so that the other will grant it peace and freedom or protection. Okay, so there is a contract or a covenant, an agreement of terms. The responsibility of the greater nation to the lesser nation and the responsibility of lesser nation towards the uh, greater nation. No? So they are what we call stipulations or guidelines. And so if one party does not follow, then the contract becomes null and void. And so, when the, God led the people out of Egypt, He said, you will be my people if you obey my covenant. So once they disobey the covenant, that already does not count. It only revealed human flaws that they cannot comply with the requirements of God to be God's people. But in the new covenant, it's completely bulletproof. You cannot find fault. It's perfect in every way because Jesus guarantees obedience and rewards of this new covenant. Next slide. No? Jesus guarantees the obedience and rewards. How? In verse 10 it says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After, the, uh, after those days, declares the Lord, 
I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In Christ, we have the victory as his people because Christ set us free from sin and death through his death on the cross and resurrection to life. We are free. He draws us into a relationship as his children if we are in Christ. He adopts us. In other words, we have adoption papers. We are already legally adopted. God did it all for us by the sacrifice of his son. We have nothing to do except believe and accept. He empowers us with his spirit to understand, remember, and obey. So it is a faultless covenant because it's a covenant initiated and perfected in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. That's why it is a much better covenant than the old. The old only tells us we are failures to obey and receive the blessing. But in the new, Jesus takes charge and ensures us of victory. It also calls for others to know God and receive forgiveness like us. Unlike in the old covenant, they thought that they were a special people of God. It's only us who are the people of God, but not in the new covenant. In verse 11, it says, And they shall teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So it's including everyone that they meet. They can share this message of salvation. They can share this message of forgiveness. And these people will receive salvation and forgiveness. It calls for us, as people of the covenant, to involve more people. Okay? And forgiveness and salvation is guaranteed in Christ by God himself. And finally, this covenant is comprehensive and complete. In speaking of the new covenant, verse 13, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away because it's just a foreshadowing of what Christ will do that will finally work once and for all for you and me. This new covenant in Christ will never grow obsolete because it was purchased with his blood. There is like a lifetime of update, not only of software but hardware. You're always up to date. You never, uh, you know, uh, get obsolete. Christ did it once and for all. And there's no need for another Savior. There's no need for another way. He is the way. It lasts for all eternity. It ushers us into life eternal. And so this is our hope. That amidst all the suffering and difficulties we face today, we have Jesus who holds us and carries us through and assures us of eternal life in Christ. So do not give up trusting in Jesus because he alone is the better mediator of the better covenant which you and I are counted today. Because in Christ, we are now the people of God. We have received the empowerment of his spirit and we are called to declare him to all nations. And there's no turning back. There's no giving up. It's worth it because Jesus 
paid the price. In fourth year high school, I had the privilege to attend my first church camp, and the title was At What Cost? And so the theme verse was about the cost of discipleship. You know, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow Christ. And uh, what made an impact in me is not the challenge of discipleship or the call to make disciples of all nations or counting the cost for me to follow Christ. But what impacted me so much is the price Christ paid to make it possible for you and me. The picture of the cross was resoundingly touching my heart and moving me into tears because Jesus made it possible by dying a felon's death for you and I. So the cross is now our glory. The cross is now the reason we live. We live for the glory of Christ. Not to meet our needs, not to overcome suffering, but to honor Christ who sacrifices life for you and I, the better mediator of the better covenant purchase us with his blood. Philip Line Rider on the book, The Faith of the Cross, wrote this. If ever mortal man found a real hero on this earth, then those men were the disciples. They indeed were hero worshippers. Then think of the horrid shock and shame which overwhelmed them at the cross. It was no splendid martyrdom for a great cause. No glorious conquest won at the cost of life. No epic to be sung or celebrated. No, the cross was simply an utter overthrow, a speechless failure. It was all sordid, cruel, criminal, a gross injustice, an intolerable defeat of good by evil, of God by devils. If you look at the cross, it seems like utter failure and defeat. He, Jesus, their hero, their chosen leader, he was numbered with transgressors. He was cast out with a curse upon him. Think how loyalty would burn to right this wrong, to clear his memory, to save his reputation, to prove the gross outrage that has been done to him is wrong, to magnify the life so that death might be forgotten. But nothing of this kind seemed to have occurred to the evangelist. They literally gloried in the cross. They are clear with an absolute conviction that the best and most wonderful thing he ever did was to die a felon's death between two robbers. It was the hero's greatest heroism that he was executed as a common criminal. The scorn and shame of the cross becomes our glory today because we place our hope and faith in Jesus alone for what he did has brought life and can bring life to all who believe. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of all who believes. It might be foolishness for others, but for me, it is the cross I want to glory in. Christ carried his cross 
He denied himself. He took up his cross and obeyed the Father. But will you carry your cross as a response to what he did for you? So how to glory in the cross? First, it is time for us to make a lifelong commitment to follow Christ and trust Christ alone, no matter what life brings. That I will hold on to Christ as Christ held on to me. Is this a commitment that you have made? If not, then it's time to make that commitment again. Depend on His power to obey and endure. Right? Plug into the power source. Take, make time for His Word. Make time for prayer. Make time for worship. Now spend time with the Lord because He will be the one to guide, enable, and empower us on a day-to-day basis. It is not a journey alone. It is a journey with the mightiest person who loves us so much that he gave us his son. And third is for us to shape up and ship out. Shape up in our discipleship. Strengthen our connections with Jesus. Okay, so that we can ship out, make disciples who makes disciples. Okay, let's again glory in the cross, just as our forebears did when they planted churches all over the Philippines because they really believed in the gospel and they really believed in the Savior. For it to become our motivation and our mission. Yes, brothers and sisters, do not give up trusting in Jesus alone because he is the better mediator of the better covenant. Let us pray. Lord, this morning, we look upon the cross and we are reminded that when you die a felon's death, you now bring us a better covenant and you are the better mediator. Help us, O Lord, not to be bogged down by the circumstances and problems and uh, challenges we face, suffering and hardships that we need to endure without understanding fully the magnitude of your grace and mercy shown to us on the cross so that you, Lord, are the rightful Savior and Lord of our lives and Savior and Lord of our world. So, Father in heaven, grant us peace today to believe and to trust and to hold on to your promises in Christ that will be accomplished through the ends of the age. Help us not to be wavering in faith, but continue to praise you for what you have done in our lives. We pray also for the churches of UEC and also our country, the Philippines, that you will, Lord, allow the message of salvation and the impact of the gospel to be seen in our churches and to be seen in the lives we touch daily. Move us, O Lord, Ship us out as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. A blessed Sunday, brothers and sisters in Christ.